Good morning. My name is Jim O'Keefe, and our scripture reading today is found in Revelations 2, 1 through 7. Let us stand for the reading of God's Word. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do not let the things you did at first and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. This is the first time we are going to hear Jesus say, whoever has ears to hear, uh, let him hear what the Spirit says. So I want you to take out your worship folder yet again. Find that section that says, what did you hear from the Lord this week? I want us to do this each time as we come together. I don't want you to write on that yet. I'll also want you to take this home with you at the end because you'll see there's some study questions that you can keep studying Revelation 2 uh, this week. There's also something about the series on the other side. But I want you to hold on to that because I want you to pray that you will hear something that God will say to you today. And at the end of the service, I'll take a moment and let you write that down. Now, it's, Jim, it's providential that you uh, read Scripture today. First of all, because he's the filmmaker for the Go Public film that's going to be shown. So it's, it's a remarkable film. So I hope that you'll really take advantage of being able to see that. But the, the, the really big reason it was good to have Jim read Scripture is that he and I sort of grew up in the same town, went to the same high school. Yes, we sort of helped Blair High School, BHS. We went to another BHS Bluefield High School in Bluefield, West Virginia. Now, that high school was a football school. You know what I mean by that? The whole town was obsessed by football. And I'll tell you, our high school team, it was a state powerhouse in football. Now, that hadn't always been the case. However, legendary coach Merrill Gaynor took over a... I need to show you a picture of of Coach Gaynor. Somebody says he didn't know that... um, Tommy Lee Jones was a football coach, but uh, <clears throat> he was an incredible man. He, he took over a football program at our high school that for, I think, the three years before he came had only won one football game. And within two years, 
that team had been transformed into a dynamo that won four state championships and three undefeated seasons. I mean, three perfect seasons. So then, shockingly, Coach Gaynor resigned. I mean, his teams were still winning. He wasn't yet at retirement age. Without giving any warning uh, to a, a school and a town that revered him, and Jim, Jim can tell you, we had a football stadium with about 12,000 seats. The town only had about 20,000 people. It was jam-packed for every football game. So he was revered in that town. He retired from coaching. Uh, several years later, when he was being honored, uh, Coach Gaynor talked about why he had resigned, and this is what he said. I lost my joy in it. I still knew how to coach. My players learned the game. They did all the right things. But I just didn't love it anymore. Now, I thought about Coach Gaynor when I read the letter that we're going to look at today, the letter that Jesus wrote to a church in Ephesus, and it's found, if you have your Bibles, in Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. I, I think most people would have considered that church to have been a powerhouse, one of the great success stories of early Christianity. The city, from the very first time that the message of Jesus came, the people there had open hearts and, and received it. I wanted to talk all about it, but you'll have to read about it from the book of Acts chapter 19. It, it's all right there. Now, a number of years had gone by, and over the years, they had had famous, renowned pastors. Like whom, you ask? Like the Apostle Paul. Like Timothy. Even like John, who wrote the book of Revelation. So under this incredible teaching ministry, the people had learned the faith. They, they would defend the gospel against the heresies that were in other places. And they had stood strong against anti-Christian forces that were in their society. But since those days, 40 years had gone by. And when Jesus wrote this letter in Revelation chapter 2, something was missing. The people didn't love Jesus anymore. They didn't love Jesus anymore. And it was serious. So today I've been praying that we will have ears to hear. This message has been so deep in my heart for each one of us. Because we can have so many things right. And I think there's so many things right. But if this piece is missing, it, we're just shallow. It's, it's just a shell. So today we want to look at it. I, I want to start... Uh, with verse 1, a few explanations. The book of Revelation is such a difficult book to read, don't you think? So we'll just get a few simple explanations. Look at verse 1 of Revelation 2. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his hand, of the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands. So the first thing people ask when you look at that is, Who on earth is this angel? Now, that word angel in the language of the book of Revelation was the very same word for messenger. So it could either be an angel, a guardian angel of some sort, or a messenger. I've always taken it to be the one that God has appointed to deliver the message week by week to the church. So this, I think, is a bit like uh, the pastor who was there. But it doesn't matter if I'm right about that. Because the important point is clear. The one who wrote the letter and the one who is sending the message is Jesus himself. 
And if you weren't here, read about him in Revelation 1, verses 12 and beyond. This is the powerful, majestic, resurrected, glorified Jesus. Do you remember who had these eyes of fire, who could look into the lives of of people? Do you remember that? He is the one who is sending a letter to the people. The other part that we look at is, is this section of, um, that holds the seven stars in his hands. I think probably what that's talking about is the different members in each local church who are to be the lights, the stars who will be carrying the gospel out into the world because the lampstands that hold those stars are the churches. And, uh, and, and what Jesus says is that he walks among the lampstands and he holds the stars in his hands. Do you see that? Which means to us, and we dare never miss, that Jesus cares about and knows what happens in the life of the local church and he cares about and knows what happens in your home and in your personal life. He holds you in his hand. What's it like? It's a little bit like, have you ever watched that program Undercover Boss? where a boss would go in, CEO of a big, big corporation would go in and visit each one of the local branches of his place of work and be able to see what they're actually doing. So Jesus is like that. He is among us. It's, it's almost like uh, a security camera when you go into a department store scanning, scanning, scanning. I don't know if this scares you or encourages you. Seeing all that happens among us. And I think that I would extend that to say not just among us as a church gathering, but in your home and in your family life. Now, in my home, we had a plaque up. I I put the saying up here. I'll never forget it. It said, Christ is the head of this house, the unseen listener to every conversation. Do you believe that? Four of you. Now, would that change anything in the way we talk with one another in our homes if if we really believe that? Would that change any of the things we do in our personal lives if we really... So I wonder if we really believe that. Now, with all that in mind, we're going to go to Ephesus. Ephesus was a great, great city. It was the fourth largest city in the Roman world. Uh, you can go to Ephesus now. I've been there a number of times. Uh, it, 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 it is one of the most excavated cities that you can find. Every time you go, there's more to be seen. I have a picture of it here, but that doesn't do justice to what you see if you go to Ephesus now. And if you go there, you'll see at the very center of the city is this huge uh, temple that has been de- dedicated to, uh, to Diana or to Artemis, uh, she might have been called. And, and she, the celebration that happened in that temple was the freedom of sexual expression. That that's where you find real joy in life. And so it was celebrated there in the city of Asia. Now into that kind of a city, God had planted a church just like us. And he had sent these great pastors. So, excuse me just a moment. <clears throat> oh, I thought we'd get that off. How did that sound out there? <clears throat> Okay. So God had, had planted a church like ours right into that community, had given them great teachers. And I'll tell you, it was the biggest church of all of the churches that we'll be studying. They were better trained. They knew the word. They were better resourced. They were better organized than all of the others. And clearly, when the time comes for Jesus to write this letter to them, they were still operating. <coughs> Excuse me. And Jesus... 
I'm, I'm trying to keep you awake today. Yeah, thank you. Let's see if that. Let's see if this will be a remedy. <coughs> Next time, I might have to have something stronger. I don't, I don't know. <coughs> <coughs> Wow. All right. As he looked at it, you get a real impression of it, that there were great things happening in the church, but there was an unseen cancer in that church too. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to begin by looking at the great things. So many times when I've heard this letter talked about it in the church, people say, oh, there's great things, they're no good. Uh, they kept the main thing from not... They did that, but I'll tell you, they're great things that I want to be true of this church. So we'll look at that first. And then secondly, we're going to look at what was missing at the cancer. Are you ready? Okay, first, what did Jesus say? <coughs> <In the coughs> wow. I might have you, Dwayne, come up and read my notes for me. What do you think? No, 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 no. <coughs> what did Jesus say should not change? Now, I want you to know there were some wonderful things in that church. I don't want this to be missed in this letter. And you can tell them, I'll just give you the words. He turned to them and he said, I know your deeds and your hard work. So, this was one of those, not one of those churches where 10% uh, of the people did 90% of the work. This was one of those churches where everybody was serving and joyously serving. And I'm guessing that like Lake Avenue Church, much of the activity that they did, nobody really saw. Do you know that that happens here every week? Who do you think stuffed those worship folders when you came in? When you leave, sometimes you leave your stuff here. Do you notice when you come back the next week it's not there anymore? Who, who cleans that up? We have every week people who are welcoming people as they come in, uh, people bringing your offerings when you come in so that we can do the work of the life of the church, um, writing notes of encouragement, even sometimes to the pastor. That happens week after week after week. And sometimes I can imagine <coughs> that when you're serving, you say... I'm tired of doing this. And Jesus turns and he says, I know what you're doing. Keep it up. I'm pleased. So he says, I, I know your deeds. I know your hard work. I also know your endurance. And these people weren't quitters. <clears throat> if they had said that they were going to do the job, you knew it was going to get done. Kind of like my wife, Chris. I love that quality. And verse 3 is such a good one to look at. <clears throat> I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake and, and you have not grown weary. So as I, I, I look at that particular text, I see that if you come to church and you say sometimes, I don't know if I want to go to church today. I don't know if I want to serve in that place. And you just feel like you've got to force yourself out of bed to come in. When you come, Jesus says, I know what you're doing. Keep it up and I'm pleased. So I know your good deeds, I know your hard work, I know your endurance, and the biggest thing he says is, because he says it twice, I know you hate false teaching. So in verse 2, Jesus commends them, because in many of the other churches, uh, people would come in and they would say that they were apostles, but they were teaching error. But in Ephesus, when they came in and said we're apostles and teaching error, the, the Ephesians knew the Bible. And they would say, no, 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 that's not true. And they say, you are not, and, and Jesus agreed, they are not. And that was an important quality. And especially when you look down in verse 6, there was one particular group 
that he dealt with. Uh, Look at verse 6 with me. Yet this you have. You hate the work of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. All right. You know what a Nicolaitan is? I think if I put out a sheet of paper, we'd get how many different, hundreds of different (laughs) responses. So I want you to listen here, because Jesus hated what the Nicolaitans were doing. No one knows exactly what they did, but there's some evidence both from this and and the letter to the church in Pergamum. The Nicolaitans would claim to be Christians. They would be sitting right in the church pews. Um, So they would say that they were following Jesus. And yet they also wanted to participate in the things that were happening in their culture and their society. We call it syncretism. Attempt to blend the values of of Jesus with, with what was happening in the world. Now, remember, I told you that they had this temple to the goddess, Artemis to Diana, celebrating sexual freedom. So most feel that what was happening there was, they said, oh yeah, you can go to church and be sure to worship Jesus, but you can go out and live like the rest of the world lives. I mean, these things that the Bible asks you to do about being faithful to, to your spouse and, and sex within marriage, nobody really believes that anymore. You can't really be accepted as a functioning member of Ephesus if you hold to that old kind of teaching. And so they were trying to blend the values of the world with the values that are found in Scripture. Now let me just ask you, do you think churchgoers are still tempted to think like the Nicolaitans today? I think I had five people say yes there. (laughs) Don't you think this is one of the biggest issues we wrestle with? How do we live distinctive lives for Jesus and really believe that when everybody else in the world says, this is the best way to live, and God says, no, this is the best way to live, we'll make a commitment to his way. Ever since John Locke wrote his famous treatise that's called Toleration in the 17th century, people have started sort of feeling, and it's been growing and growing in our day, that it's wrong to take a strong position about any religious matter. Um, They they said, uh, people today say, well, you can take strong views about anything, but certainly not about religion. It's almost virtuous to say, well, all of us can believe whatever we want and and do what we want. I simply like to believe on Jesus. That's what the Nicolaitans did. And I've written this for you. I think in our world we've added an 11th commandment to the 10. So I put it up here for you. Thou shalt not disagree if someone doesn't like the preceding 10 commands. Don't you think that's the, the spirit of our age? Now, I'll tell you, that the Ephesians didn't do that. They knew the scriptures. They wouldn't let the error come in from false teachings. So uh, when you look at this already, there are some good things, aren't there? Well, we might look at this and say, what a church that church in Ephesus was. Everybody there is serving. Everybody's working hard. They're not giving up. They hold to the truth. They defend against heresy. What a church. And there were many good things about it. But one thing was missing, and it was dreadfully, deadfully wrong. And I have to take us there, and so I want you to listen carefully. I hope I can speak clearly. What Jesus said had to change. Look at verse 4. It's wedding, marriage kind of language. This I have against you, Jesus said. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Uh, In Jesus' day, this phrase... Your first love was language almost always used of a marriage relationship. So it makes me ask this question. What is it that makes 
a marriage fall apart. And actually, I think his words will deal not only with our relationship to him and our marriages, but every relationship that we have. What is it that makes so many marriages in our day fall apart? Many of you have experienced this. Many times it's sexual unfaithfulness. One or other, uh, the other, the partners, uh, or maybe both, develop a sexual attraction to somebody else, finds that other person irresistible. So that when a marriage dies, often it's been that the passions and, and affections and attentions that once were placed upon your spouse have been transferred over to another person. But do you know that not every marriage that ends in divorce is broken by an illicit affair? You know that, don't you? The fact is that sometimes marriages shatter when there's no sexual temptation at all. They die slowly, almost unconsciously, from within. Have you seen it? I mean, almost imperceptible degrees. People start moving apart. Their affection for one another cools, especially intimate communication begins to dry up until one day people just feel like they're strangers in their own home. You can turn your affection not necessarily to another person, but it can be to something else, even a good thing. It can be turned to your work, your career. I'm telling you, your career is a terrible God when that becomes the first affection of your life. Sometimes we turn it to our children instead of to our spouse within our marriages. So that when the children are gone, we have no more affection anymore. Sometimes we turn it to sports even. Do you know that? You get a a picture. I get a picture when I read this letter to Ephesus of people who were working hard, trying to be very faithful to being the church. They were studying the Bible. They, They were going to teach the truth. But there's no dance in their step. You know what I mean? There's no spring in their heart. It's almost like, well, we made our vows to be Christians back when we were young, so we're going to keep them, I guess, for better or for worse. You just show up to church out of, out of duty. Let me just tell you, that the faith that you are a part of was never meant to be a duty or an obligation, but an affectionate relationship with a person. So, I've, I've, Amen. I've been trying to think about how this might happen in our lives. Do any of you know about the Myers-Briggs personality inventories? Those of you who don't, you can read about it or talk to one of our counselors here. It's like a person who's taken that thing, you got into your marriage, said, what's going wrong? And, and a woman finds out that she's an INTJ and she has married an ESFP. <laughs> and she thinks, what have I done? I I like to keep things neat and I like to keep things orderly and he keeps throwing his stuff all over the house. And so it just gets on your nerves and eventually it becomes very hard to keep your vows. And I'll just tell you what happens in our marriages can happen in our relationship with with Jesus. Don't you think that's what happened in Ephesus? They believed the right things, they preached the right things, But it was a dead, a dead orthodoxy. And I'll tell you, even though they would fight against the heresies of those other places over there, their deadness was at least as bad as the heresies they were opposed to. Uh, These harsh words, it seems like, of Jesus, I'm willing to uh, snuff out your lampstand. 
And I can almost hear them say, wait a minute, Jesus, we teach the Bible here. We've had the best pastors in this place. We're not the liberal ones. We haven't moved. But dead things don't move. Neither do dead hearts respond to the love of God. You can tell I've been thinking and praying about this so much this week. I wrote something down. Look at it. See if it has the ring of truth. I think that church had become religious. The evidence of religiosity is lovelessness. So you see, you can be an outwardly religious person. Do all the right things. Get the teaching right in your head. You might even be able to argue against all people who are teaching error. But you can have all that right and you still may have no love either for Jesus or for the very people you would disagree with for whom he died. You can add that. There's such a subtle temptation for us as churchgoers to have our first love not being for Jesus but for being right about religion. For the Ephesians, they love to be right but they no longer love the one they were right about. We put truth into the place of Jesus. Christianity isn't just about loving certain things or even loving the Bible. Though loving good teaching and loving the preciousness of the Bible is important, Christianity is about loving Jesus. The truth that I want to teach each week, the truth that we point toward, all points to the Jesus who says, I am the truth. All this is about me. Real truth, when we grasp it, can't be separated from the person of Jesus. What happens is when we just get into it for the learning, is that all of our learning just becomes academic, all of our deeds become duty. How serious was this? Look at this last phrase. I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Again, can't you imagine them saying, remove our lampstand, us, Jesus, don't you know about that other street down the, the other church down the street? How can this be us, Jesus? We have the truth here. Others are the problems. We're the genuine ones. But Jesus says to them, you're nearly dead. Now, I'm not going to end there uh, because Jesus always offers up hope. And, and, and in some of the most practical, for your, all of your friendship and marriage relationships, as well as for our relationship with God, Jesus gives him the most practical help I've ever seen in the entire Bible. He gives three words. How, how to change. One, remember. Two, change. And three, do. So let's think about it. They're all in verse five. Remember. Uh, remember how far you've come from where you once were. Uh, do you know that remembering is such an important word of the Bible. It, it tells us that the ability to remember things is a gift that God has given us. So that when we take time actually to remember, it can be one of those things that's not just a joy to remember, it can change our lives. And so here, what I, I see it saying to us is, take time to remember when you really love Jesus. Take time to remember the first time it went from your head to your heart that he knows everything that you've done and he still loves you with an everlasting love. Do you remember the first person who ever told you that? Do you remember how you just couldn't believe it? 
He knows all about me. I don't have to hide it from him. And he's willing to forgive me and give himself to me. Remember that. Take time. Uh, relationships are rekindled when we take time to remember. Remember. I'll, I'll tell you, almost every uh, married couple has a wedding, uh, an album of wedding photos. Married people, do you have them? All right, so I went digging through mine this week. All right, I'm going to show it to you. Chris and I have been married 36 years. Has it already popped up there? It's so embarrassing. I, I almost thought, if I show this picture, they're not going to keep me as their pastor anymore. A, a pastor who wears a white tux and a baby blue shirt. The option was to wear a baby blue tux and a white shirt. And I think I had white patent leather shoes. Oh man, the 70s was not a good fashion era. Just, just mark it down. Chris looks great. Don't you think? He looks, almost every couple has this. We've been married 36 years and I found out after the first service we're like newlyweds compared to many people in this church. It's amazing. But no matter how long you've been married, most of us have and sometimes those pictures that are beginning to become become yellowed, you know, the uh, handsome young man in that old-fashioned out-of-date suit and that beautiful young woman clothed in, in, in white, so obviously filled with joy and happiness on their wedding day. You know what I found this week? I was digging out those pictures and just remembering again, remembering again, the, the things we did, remembering how I felt, remembering that day that I felt, and it really the, the love is rekindled. And you know, if that can happen, when we can look back at that time when I just, oh, I'm going to ask her to marry me, I don't know, if, and we just remember how much we hoped she'd say yes, then we can see what Jesus is saying. Remember that time that you knew how much I loved you and how much you loved me and allow that love to be rekindled. Isn't that an amazing word? Remember. Second word, that he uses is change. It's sometimes translated repent. Again, it's the very same word uh, in, in, in the book of Revelation. And really there was something that had to change. Now I'm guessing for the Ephesians that they didn't think they had anything that had to change. They were the ones who had it right. Those other ones are the ones who have to change. When that sets in, we're dead. We're toast. In any human relationship, mark this down, Look down for people who are dating one another and a few others. Mark this down. In any human relationship, when you begin to think that the other person has to do all the changing, that relationship will die. Uh, we have to learn to make adjustments toward one another. Uh, when you get to that point where, where you think, well, she has to change. She's the one in the wrong. I don't have to do any changing. What happens the two of you will start walking away from one another? when you actually are willing to change and make adjustments and sacrificially give up something important to you simply because you love that other person, you'll find out that the two of you will come closer toward one another. Did you see that study that came out this week that said married couples who keep stay in their marriages start looking more and more like one another? That is a scary thought for Chris. It's a good one for me. <laughs> it, it, is a, it is a good one for me. And... Um, and in this one, where we are willing to make those adjustments and to change and come back, we'll start looking more and more like the Christ in whose image we are made. 
The word I said is also translated repent. It means when you see some things in your life, I know that's wrong, that you go to him and you say, I'm sorry. And what's the first thing whenever you have a person you love that you say, I'm sorry I did wrong, that you want to hear? I forgive. Let's go again. And Jesus does that. He says, I forgive. Let's go again. Is there anything in your heart now that you know needs to change before God? Turn it over to Him. He'll start again with you. All right. So remember, change, and then do. Do. But Jesus, can't you hear the Ephesians saying, um, you just commended us for all we're doing. We're working all the time. But what He says is, do the things you did at first. I'm not sure what that is that they did, but I can guess. All right. When they first came to know Jesus, do you think they would ever miss an opportunity to sing praise to him together with other church people? Do you think that they would would look for every opportunity to learn more about this God who loves them with an everlasting love? What, What kind of things do we do when we love people? Think about a person that you have ever really loved. When the love was its deepest, what did you do? Did you have special places that you went out to? Did, is, there, is there a place where, a kind of food that you would make for that person that you love? What is it that you do when you just want to please that person? You would never do anything that displeases that person, right? Oh, but by then, ho-hum. All right, well, we were in church last week. This week, I'd rather play golf. This week, oh, we've got some soccer games. Oh man, my favorite baseball team is playing. Oh, same time as church. Oh, I know I'm going to meddling right now. But does anything reveal what our first love is more than that? Think about those things you do when you love the most. And Jesus says, do them again. Do them again. In your, in your friendship and marriage relationships... Go to those places again. Set aside time again. And in your relationship with God, whatever you did when you first came to know the love of God, do it again. And what Jesus vows is in verse 7. I love it. So, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And here it is. To the one who is victorious, to the one who conquers, I will grant to eat. Now that sounds good. I will grant to eat of the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. Where does that language come from? Doesn't that come out of the book of Genesis? When people were there in in paradise and the tree of life was there and the tree of life sustained this life with God and that was life the way it's supposed to be. When, When people walked away from God they had to leave the garden and away from the tree of life so nobody really is living fully the way we're supposed to live. But what Jesus says, love me, walk with me, and I'll tell you, we're going to feast. And again, it's, it's marriage language. A- after a, a wedding ceremony, we usually have a reception. And in almost every culture, we feast together. A- and Jeff Madison says, he knows this is going to be great food with no calories. At, at what's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. Where the day comes that we see him face to face and we rejoice and life is as it's supposed to be. But I'm telling you, if if you don't rekindle that first love, 
even, even that isn't going to be great for you. And heaven is not going to be heavenly if you don't love Jesus. You know why, don't you? Because it's all going to be about Jesus there. The praise that we offer is just really going to be offered to Jesus. If you don't love Jesus, heaven is not going to be heavenly for you. And so that's why, my brothers and sisters, I am praying that we will have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. God has given to us an incredible heritage here at Lake Avenue Church. Let us be active in our service. Let us hold on to the truth. Let us live for Christ no matter what our culture is saying. But let's not make those things the main thing. Let those things flow out of what is in our hearts. May our first love, our heart's love, be for the Jesus who is at the heart of this word. And for us to get to that, will you pull out your uh, prayer kneelers there in front of you? In the balcony, I know you don't have them. But just kneel or pray as best you can. Our musicians will be coming. And I want to lead us just for a moment in prayer together. Our Father, on behalf of each one in this worship center, I pray that now you would give us a deeper and more genuine sense of your presence and reality than we've ever had before. We have read your word that Jesus walks among the lampstand, among those of us in the life of the church. Father, sometimes you seem to be so far away to some of us. So I pray that even now you would give to each one of us a special sense that you are here and that you love us with an everlasting love. So now, take time to remember. Can you remember a time in your life when you couldn't believe that God would receive you? When you had failed and you knew that he had forgiven you and you just said, Hallelujah. When you'd experienced a real problem or a need and somehow he had provided, take time to think about when your relationship with him was real and your love for him was deep. Remember. Remember. Ask him to rekindle his love in your heart. then change. Is there something in your life or deep in your heart that you know doesn't please Jesus? Could be in your thoughts, attitude, words, or actions. When you really love a person, you want to please that person. Is there something you know that doesn't please him? Give that to him. Tell him you're sorry. Ask him to forgive you. And pledge that with his help, 
because you know it's only with his help that you will change. And then do. When you really loved Jesus, what did you do? Did you tell other people about him? Did you get up early in the morning to read about him? Whatever you did, tell him that you want to renew your love and do the things you did at first. Oh Lord Jesus, thank you for your unending, unrelenting love for us. We pray that we will be a church that has you as our first love. May it start with my life. May it happen in each one here. We can only pray because of Jesus. Amen. Our music is going to begin playing. You take your seats again. If you'll take out this um, section of the worship folder and as the music's playing, write one sentence. What did you hear from the Lord this week? Write down one sentence. What did he say? Let the one who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. What did you hear? Write it down. Maybe you'll share that with someone this week. Maybe God will rekindle and renew your love for him.